Welcome to the Nicolay Wealth Management Investment Podcast. On this episode, you will hear Adam Longley and Mike Steppy give an update on the financial markets, talk about recent employment reports, the impact of several high-profile REITs, and the value of the U.S. dollar. Adam will also share his insights about some year-end tax strategies that investors might consider. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss the latest updates on investment management, the economy, and much more in this podcast hosted by Anthony Wilhelms of Nicolay Wealth Management. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Nicolay Wealth Management Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Anthony Wilhelms, and with me are Mike Steppy and Adam Longley. Guys, I can't wait to jump into it. There's lots happening. We get to talk about inflation, REITs, interest rates, fixed income, equity markets. Mike, will you kick us off with an update with what's been happening in the economy and financial markets over the past couple of weeks? Sure. Since the end of September, we've seen a rebound in the markets. The inflation data has cooled somewhat. The dollar has weakened off about 6% since uh, September 30th. Equity prices have increased and interest rates have started to move sideways. The financial markets remain focused on inflation. That hasn't changed. CPI peaked in June at an annual rate of about 9%, and we're seeing it modestly shift lower. Probably in the next couple of months, we'll see numbers in the 7% year-over-year increases. Uh, Those are on an annualized basis, but we're still seeing the higher costs for shelter and wages keeping some upward pressure on inflation. In the equity market since September 30th, the S&P is up over 10%. Um, And you're seeing that being led by large capitalization stocks. Interestingly, the international developed markets are up more than U.S. stocks, as both German and French stocks have rebounded. And even emerging market equities have performed about even with the S&P 500 uh, since June 30th. The improvement in the international stocks is likely linked to a modest weakening in the dollar. Again, Uh, dollars off about 6% since the end of September. Negative news in Europe is likely priced into the market with a little positive news, the market rallies. With regard to interest rates, we're starting to see some positive returns in bonds since September 30th. And we've seen sort of a move sideways with rates. As an example, the five-year treasury has been in a pretty wide range between 360 and 440 with an average of about 4% since June 30th. So that's sort of the backdrop of where we are. Oh, that is really nice uh, summary there, Mike. While we're talking about fixed income, you mentioned some of the returns we've seen on equities. How has fixed income performed with this last uh, month or so? Well, it really depends on the day you look at it because it's been really choppy and we've seen these wide swings in there. So. Um, it depends on the on that. And day to day, when you when you get the basis point moves of 30, 40 uh, basis points at a time, it does swing these performance numbers around. Thanks, Adam. I'm going to come to you with a question about REITs. Uh, to our audience, REITs, real estate investment trusts, they own real estate through them. And there have been some liquidation restrictions and a lot of high profile news happening. Adam, what is happening in that market? Just 
it's really been interesting. So look at year to date through the end of October, uh, S&P 500 real estate sector. So it's going to be publicly traded REITs. It's down almost 30%. Then you look at some of the popular privately held REITs. Uh, they have less liquidity. Um, those are up 9 or 10%. So you got 40 percentage points of, of difference. Um, and you, you know, you look at that and that's in less than one year. I think you can question that and see if that, does that really make sense? Um, in, in question if, is this a situation where publicly traded assets that are marked to market and valued every day, does that maybe better reflect the real estate market compared to privately held assets that are valued less frequently? And if, you know, maybe you're concerned that markdowns are, are coming, you might want to sell. Additionally, if, if part of your portfolio is up nine and, and your stocks are down 15 and your bonds are down 15, you know, it, it's likely that your actual portfolio positioning is probably not in line with your targets and you might want to rebalance. So that could also trigger some sell orders in, in that part of your real estate portfolio that, that's up 9%. Remy, you don't even follow the markets, but you just read something that other people are selling and, and you decide maybe that's what you should do too. You know, either way, recently there's been kind of a rush of selling to the point where the funds, um, that, that if they wanted to make these cash distributions to all the sellers, they'd probably have to sell some real estate. And then maybe they wouldn't realize the prices, uh, prices that are in line with where the assets are valued. Um, so, and, and that wouldn't necessarily be fair to current investors that, were, that didn't want to sell and, and plan on continuing to hold. So in order to protect current investors, these funds often limit um, selling redemptions to some percentage of the fund value. Uh, they essentially, they, they put up a gate. And, and if that, the amount of selling requests exceeds that limit, the fund will have to limit the amount of permitted selling. And that's what's in the news today is people want to sell and they're, and they're not able to, at least to the, the size. Um, so the implications of that is Investors that need cash or need the liquidity um, can't get it from, from these investments and they're going to have to sell something else. And, and that could put pressure on other assets and markets. It's a really interesting point. Does that spread out to other um, closely held assets or non-publicly traded assets like private equity, uh, things like that, or alternatives? It, it, it could. I mean, each investment has different liquidity dynamics. So these are largely, um, you, you put in a request and, and maybe it, it offers liquidity every quarter. Um, so a, a private equity investment where you're investing the money for a decade, that's not going to be affected. Um, it's these, these vehicles that kind of have liquidity in between intraday and, and illiquid. Sure. I appreciate the explanation. It's, uh, there's a lot to think about there. Mike, I want to come back to you with some comments about the employment report. We hear almost daily about uh, job openings or labor shortages. What are you seeing from the recent labor, uh, employment reports and what are you thinking for 2023? The last several months, and this is not surprising, the employment reports have been really strong. November, the non-farm payroll, which is the number of people are looking at, the number of new jobs, up 263,000. October up 284,000, September up 269,000. The unemployment rate has been unchanged at 3.7. But 
The problem is the markets see this as a cause of concern because they're looking at how is the Fed going to interpret this? And with the Fed trying to dampen down inflation, seeing a really strong labor market, a hot labor market, it means that wages are probably going to have an upward tilt to them. And that isn't what the Fed wants to see. So as pay increases continue to ratchet up, companies continue to try to, you know, do what they can to keep labor. The worry in the markets is the Fed will continue to push overnight rates up more. And that in an effort to cool the labor market, the Fed is expected to raise overnight rates right now by 50 basis points in December, so next week, and then another 50 basis points during the first quarter. So up another 100 basis points in total. So that's what people are looking at. Good news isn't necessarily good news if it means the Fed might be more aggressive in raising those rates. So Mike, on those lines, how much can the Fed raise short-term rates or overnight rates without it pushing up long-term rates? Can our yield curve just invert to infinity? Well, it certainly is inverted farther than I thought. Um, since July 3rd, we've been inverted um, from the period between July and the middle of November, we were sort of averaging about 25 basis points of inversion. Since November 16th, the inversion is, has traded between 65 and 85 basis points. And you got to go back 40 years to see something like that. We're currently at about 75 basis points. The reason for it is, you know, people are looking and the markets are seeing that, look, the, the Fed is going to push these rates up. That's likely to tip the economy into a recession. And in that kind of a scenario, rates will eventually come back down. The question is, how long is that eventually? When you look at it, the Fed is out there saying aggressively that, look, we're going to push rates up and then we're going to pause for, quote, an extended period of time. Now, the market's saying, hey, that might be what the Fed wants to do, but what are they actually going to be able to do? If it looks like the economy is going to spiral down, you're going to see them, them on the other side of this. And right now, baked into the market, the market is pricing overnight rates at, at in May of next year at 5%, and at December of next year at 4.5%. So a 50 basis point decrease. And that's sort of consistent with what we've seen in five-year treasuries. If you go back and look at you know, what five-year treasuries have averaged in, in October and the early part of November and where they are now, we're down about 50 basis points. So that's what's getting priced into the market, is that expectation that the Fed is going to have to bring those down. Well, we'll see what that does to markets. And maybe that will come into uh, Adam's thoughts related to value and growth stocks. We've seen massive outperformance from value stocks relative to growth during 2022. Uh, Adam, do you think that will persist in 2023? Could you also use that uh, answer in context with my, what Mike is saying about the market's forecast for interest rates and how those relate? Yeah, it's been really interesting this year. Um, value has done significantly better than, than growth. We've talked about it before, and we often point to um, rates going up, the dollar going up, inflation being high, as being kind of explaining why value has, has outperformed. Um, but what's really been interesting is in, in the last six weeks or so, you've seen 
rates go down, you've seen the dollar go down, and you've seen inflation peak, yet growth has not outperformed value. They've they've done they've been about in line. So you haven't, even though the the uh, kind of the headwinds and tailwinds have reversed, the relative performance of growth and value hasn't reversed. So I think that's kind of a clue that yeah, value can probably continue to outperform. If you look at what is value, what is growth, I, I think it also makes you want to lean towards value. So obviously growth is technology companies. Lots of, of talk about how they're they're downsizing, their growth is slowing down. Um, those are all headwinds to, to performance. And on the value side, you can look at financials and many of them are, um, they look inexpensive, they look attractive. And then the energy sector, which is, which is value, is just printing tons of free cash flow. Um, you've got really attractive dividend yields, um, and, and so that that part of the market looks looks pretty good as well. So, yeah, I would I would expect value to continue to do well. I appreciate that perspective, Mike. Adam mentioned that dollar hit a was at a high maybe a month ago, and it sold off a little bit. What is happening with the U.S. dollar, and what are the implications of a strong or weakening U.S. dollar? More than just a little bit. You know, the dollar uh, is up nine and a half percent for this year uh, for 2022, but it's down more than six percent in the fourth quarter. So you feel you feel that a couple of reasons for it. First of all, the Fed is probably near the end of its rate tightening cycle. So you look at most of this year, the Fed was talking about rates going up substantially. Now, I mean, while we used to think one percent was substantial, it seems less so now because rates have gone up so much. So we're getting towards the end of that tightening cycle. Second, Europe's economic downturn looks now like it's gonna be less bad than previously forecasted. So those things sort of contributing to the, to the dollar uh, doing you know, less well. And the implications are two. First of all, it tends to boost performance of international equities. So we've seen a rally. Uh, again, part of that due to Europe doing a bit better, but you're seeing a lift in, interna in international developed equities. And secondly, it helps companies with higher foreign sales. And that's a real mix, okay? Yes, you've got some technology stocks, but you have a lot of the material stocks, the chemical companies, the, the mining companies, those kind of companies. And uh, those some of those uh, chemical mining companies doing a bit better also because you're seeing China at least seeming to ease up on their COVID restrictions and maybe opening up and maybe that sort of helping those because China does in the short run have such an impact on how much goods uh, they buy. It's a great, great point, Mike. I always love your perspective on that piece. I want to stick with you, Mike, and you talked about employment earlier and the kind of strength or weakness. Would you speak to any sectors that are really doing well from employment or any that you expect to continue to do well in 2023 or have more difficulty? Well, sure. You still see construction doing relatively well. You see things happening uh, on that front. Uh, when you look at the things you worry about uh, in terms of a decline, the labor force participation rate has been weaker than we expected. In November, it was 62.1%. 
when you go back pre most of when you look at the employment numbers, they're stronger than they were pre-pandemic. But the labor force participation isn't. And uh, most of that decline is in men over 55 years old deciding to retire early. And while we've seen some rebound in the labor force participation, it's been flat in 2022. So in January, that number was 62.2. In November, it was 62.1. The impact of that is, first of all, you have less economic growth because there's fewer people working. Second, you've got less tax revenue because those people aren't paying taxes because they're retired, not working. And third, in the real short run, it leads to lower productivity. Older workers are probably pretty productive and they're replaced by younger workers who are probably a little less productive, at least at the immediate start when they, when they get their new job, not, not as productive. That ramps up relatively quickly, but in the short run, it has an impact on productivity numbers. In general, the productivity numbers, are, it's hard to quantify those things. And so I put less stock in that than I do in other things, just because I don't, I don't trust the data very much. But in general, the, the, the trend that we're seeing here with older men choosing to retire early is having an impact on the economy. That's a really good explanation. Adam, we're coming up toward the end of the year. It's hard for me to believe it's mid-December already. That means it's tax planning time. But one of the favorite things for all of us portfolio managers uh, in years like this, where we get to say things like tax loss harvesting, what else are people thinking about and what should people be thinking about within their portfolios? Yeah, there's a couple ideas. You mentioned one is, is harvesting some losses um, that can offset some gains. It can offset a, a small amount of your, your income. If you own mutual funds, you can proactively look at the anticipated um, taxable distributions on those. There's strategies to um, deal with those. There's uh, still time to make contributions to 529 college savings plans that can lower your uh, state income tax potentially. Any charitable donations, whether you want to do it before the end of the year or, or, or kind of plan what your income is going to be and, and, and do more the following year. But looking at that, making sure you're taking your required um, distributions and just overall kind of take a look at how you're positioned and, and allocated. And as you think about next year, be in a position where you're, you're ready to you set yourself up for success. Those are really good points. Uh, when you mention mutual fund distributions, I, I know it's a bit of a technical topic, but I don't hear it addressed very often. Uh, I think most people, myself included, understand that if you sell a stock for less or more than what you paid for it, there's a gain or a loss. How does that work with a mutual fund if you don't sell it? Is there still a potential tax due? When you buy a mutual fund, you don't necessarily own the individual shares yourself. You own a share of the pool. Um, so there may be gains from previous years before you were invested. And if that fund is, um, maybe they had some redemptions, maybe they had to sell some stocks to, to meet those redemptions and they had to realize some gains. So even though the stock market is down 15%, a mutual fund could very well pay out a taxable gain 
Um, but it, it is that information is available ahead of time um, if, if you seek it out. That's helpful. It's important then that uh, investors have a team looking at those types of distributions to be prepared for it, or that they're checking it out themselves so they don't get a surprise it, capital gain at the end of the year, right? Yeah, Anthony, just on that note, when we use mutual funds and taxable accounts, you know, and we do look at a couple of things. You can gauge what the um, potential potential unrealized gain of the fund is by looking at past performance. So if uh, you know that that's one thing we look at ahead of time. You can also look at what we call the tax costs. So you can look at these distributions that have been made in the past, and you can kind of judge which mutual funds are more tax friendly because um, there is a huge difference, and it largely depends on the manager. Um, I've, I've I've worked at mutual fund i've worked with a hedge fund there are managers who don't care about taxes they either assume most of their clients are in deferred accounts or they feel their job is to generate the highest return possible regardless of the tax implications and there are some managers who are extremely focused on taxes and, and take it into consideration every day um, so that's just something we, we look at on the front end well, I'm glad we have you and our team behind the scenes keeping an eye on that. So we have all of our clients having that type of thing reviewed. Um, well, I appreciate everybody spending time with us today. The time flies by while I'm talking to both of you. I'll turn it over to you, Mike, with some parting thoughts. One thought I've been thinking about this past week is for investors that own GE stock. Now is a good time to take a look at it. GE has announced that they're going to spin off GE Healthcare, uh, which has a big impact here in Wisconsin. Uh, and GE Healthcare, the symbol is going to be GEHC, is going to start trading on January 4th of next year. So this is a good time to sort of look and say, uh, if I, I hold that GE stock, how, where does it fit in my portfolio? Uh, what's my cost basis? Uh, what hold, you know, does this make sense? So this is something you want to talk about. Uh, that's a good time to, to do it, to think about it and to decide what you want to do. I like it. Adam, parting thoughts from you. Uh, at the end of the year, I would just encourage everyone to, to take a look at your finances. Um, you know, don't, don't put it off. Now's a good, find some time, carve it out and, and just make sure uh, everything's buttoned up. Good concise summary to our audience. We'd love talking to you. This is the time of year to talk to an advisor. If you need anything, there's tax things to think about, portfolio repositioning, distributions, and planning for the upcoming year. Please reach out. All of us on the wealth management team at Nicolay are happy to help. Uh, so please contact us. With that, we'll sign off and see you again soon. Bye.